All right. So when I was on the phone with Tim, we were talking about, among many other things, this book, which is uh, one of the books that um, is not part of the library system in the United States, that the librarians don't even know about this, but that it is available on Amazon. And so this is a fairly good book on Anapanasati. But the um, all of the books and all the literature that you'll find about Anapanasati has a flaw. And the flaw is, is that it is taught in the order that is um, ancient set up in the sense of going from large to small. For instance, uh, what we're talking about is the Satipatthana, or the four parts of the body, feeling, mind, and mind object. So uh, the body itself is, is substantial. I mean, there are billions of cells, trillions of cells, hundreds of trillions of molecules, all racing around in a blood system and whatnot like that. But what drives that body is an electromechanical chemistry, and that electromechanical chemistry can be called feelings. That in fact, the language that the body communicates with the mind and the language that the mind communicates with the body is in a language of feelings. And so uh, we move the body because of feeling. Mm-hmm. And that we know that the body is where it is because we can feel where it is. And not only that, but all of the sensory input that we have. So that when we see, we have to see because we've got eyes in a body. No eyes, no vision. Just like you cannot have a photograph or a JPEG pile without a camera. Sometime or another, you had to have a camera, even if that camera in that regard would be uh, Microsoft Paint. All right, but you cannot present an image that did not have a source or a creation for it. This is an important part, then, that the body is the foundation of which all of this works. That's why in Anapanasati, breathing and getting to know the body and relaxing the body is step one or part one of Anapanasati. So, in fact, the order would be the long breath, and we're talking about knowing the long breath as an in-breath and knowing the long breath as an out-breath. And then the next one would be an intentional breathing short. You don't really need to practice that for right now. We'll talk about that in time to come. And then the next one is to get to know the body, because generally we're so focused on the other senses that we don't know. But both of you can recognize that you can close your eyes and you know exactly where your body is. It's called proprioceptic. We're not talking about touch. But if you're very sensitive, you can actually feel the touch of the cloth of the shirts and clothing that you're wearing. That you don't have to move anything, that you can just sense, for instance, the collar. You just you can by becoming aware of the so all of that data is coming in all the time and it's almost always completely ignored because it's not to a level of you know it's got to rise up to a certain level of sensation before we will pay any attention to it at all. So this is the body and that's the foundation and so the books all have that as part one. The second one is actual the feelings, but in this regard, we're talking about feelings in two different contexts. We're talking about bad feelings that we have a habit of doing because we got into the habit of having bad feelings starting at a child. In the same process with, that when we were little kids, we paid attention to the body a lot. When you were learning to walk, you really paid attention to the body. When you learned how to use your hands, you paid a lot of attention to the body. As adults, we don't pay much attention to the body at all because we've already trained it to do the functions and we let it just do it naturally. The only time that you're really, really going to pay attention to the hands is, say, when you're trying to pick a scab or pick a beard, uh, a hair, 
uh, or using tweezers or something like that, then you pay attention to the hands. Most of the time we don't. We don't think about that. Even when you're writing, signing your name, you pay attention to the signature, not to your hands. So we have lost contact with our hands, and this is why step three of Anapanasati is relatively important, and that is to learn to get familiar with the body. But the feelings, these are special in the sense that we mostly have bad feelings. The bad feelings that are normally associated with judgments of right and wrong, up and down, good or bad, comparisons and things like that, that we'll call feelings that come out of a critical mind. Now, out of that critical mind, we try to bring good feelings, but generally we don't. In other words, we see a, a pretty car or a pretty pen or a pretty something in the store and we like it. And so we buy it thinking that now this is mine and I will it will make me happy in the sense that I will feel always the way that I felt when I first saw that thing. My isn't that beautiful. The people who go window shopping, they're smart enough to know that, yeah, it may be beautiful in the store window, but that doesn't mean I have to buy it. That I can like something, but I don't have to have it. So now we're looking at Vedana. And in the sense of the right kind of Vedana is not a critical Vedana of, yes, I like it, no, I don't like it but a Vedana that has to do more with nurturing, where everything is all right, everything is fine, everything, no worries, mate, no problems, everything is satisfaction. This is actually now looking at it in uh, the Satipatthana and Anapanasati, we're talking about step five and six. Step one, two, three, four is long, short, knowledge of the body and relaxation of the body as a fourth. Here in Vedana, we're looking at uh, satisfaction. We're looking at security. We're looking at ease, getting yourself into a state of ease, uh, easy peasy, hunky dory, all of that kind of stuff. Don't tell Dory she's hunky, but hunky dory, everything is all right. That makes everything feel good. This is called sukha. Because, in fact, dukkha can be associated with critical. Critical in the sense of, I like it, I want it. Critical in the sense of, I don't like it, I want to get rid of it. Here, we're looking at it from the sense of nurturing. Everything's all right. Once we get into the habit of really being able to see things as everything is all right, we come to a final kind of a new attitude about life. And that new, light, that new attitude about life is I can handle anything because all I have to handle is things that are easy to handle. Everything is easy. And so this is, the, and this is an attitude of a winner, that everything is easy. Everything is all right. Okay, so these are the feelings. And by doing that, that means that we can really get the mind strong and at the same time liberated. Why? Because anything that is not liberating means that it's important. It's critical. And if everything is okay, everything is nurturing, everything is fine, now we have real freedom. Freedom to not bother to do anything. So these are now about halfway through. Let us start now with the mind. Step number nine of the, in the, the Sita Nupassana, in fact, uh, to refer back to the Pali, Kaya Nupassana is for the body, Vedana Nupassana is for the feeling, the Sita Nupassana is for the mind, and then interesting to call it Dhamma Nupassana for the objects of the mind, and so we'll come back to that later. Right now, let's look at this word Sita Nupassana. The word Sita in Pali, there is more than one word for mind. There is also the word mana or manu. And manu actually is what we get our word human from or man. Okay, this is the human part of the mind, which we will call the frontal cortex. 
the adult in the room. But the Sita Nupassana actually means that, no, we're actually going to train a different part of the mind that when you're thinking straight, you don't need to train in thinking straight. You just think straight. The question is, how can you get the mind into set so that it can think straight? The answer is, is that we need to train this Sita. We need, and the, the, the Sita then would be the emotional part of the mind, uh, the feeling part of the mind, etc., like that. So that the feelings are uh, basically of two kinds. One is, is that the fine kinds of feelings that come out of the Sita, which has to do with self-preservation, procreation, herding instinct, territorial instincts, and all of that kind of stuff, which is a critical kind of mind thinking. And then with the Manu, that's the part that's going to be really nurturing. Everything's all right. Everything's fine. So the Sita Nupasana, number, step number nine, the first thing in that is to examine the condition of the mind. What's the mind doing right now? Okay. Uh, is the mind full of hindrances? Is the mind um, uh, full of wholesome things? Is the mind <clears throat> doing something appropriate? Is the mind nurturing or is the mind being critical? So these are the, and another way of looking at uh, step number nine is, um, is the mind exalted? Is the mind sharp? Is it dull? Is it on top of things? An example with me is sometimes I play Sudoku. Do you know Sudoku? Okay, when my mind is dull, uh, an easy game will take five to ten minutes. When the mind is sharp, I'm hovering down under three minutes, down in the two-minute range to fill that puzzle out, okay? And that that sharpness has to do with drawing back so that you can actually see where all the fours go. And then you can see where all the fives go. But when the mind is dull, we tend to look at it very closely and look very slowly through things. When the, so when the mind is sharp, we can just draw back and get a really clear, easy picture of things. And so figuring out how we're using the mind is also the way of looking at what the states of mind. So this is step nine of Anapanasati. What condition is the mind in? Start to pay attention to this. This is something that very few people ever give any thought to, of what shape the mind is in. Other than somebody ask you, or it'll be when you're really tired, and you'll know that you're really tired. Oh, I'm so tired, I can't think of anything right now, right? That part we'll, we'll have to recognize. But many times we don't really pay much attention to the state that the mind is in. Now it's time to start paying attention to it, and the way that we do that would be in the sitting practice in the beginning, but to put that on our to-do list of paying attention to what the mind is doing, as well as beginning to develop a not-to-do list so that there are things to be avoided. Unwholesome things would be to avoid, like being critical. Things to put on the to-do list would be then nurturing, Everything's all right. Everything is fine. So right now with this, everything is all right, everything is fine, is actually step 10 of Anapanasati that is referred to as gladdening the mind or brightening the mind or making the mind fit. And that we can do that by talking ourselves into it. Just like we have been talking ourselves into feeling bad with our critical thoughts, we can start talking ourselves into feeling really good by having nurturing thoughts. Nurturing thoughts would be very easy thoughts like uh, zippity doo or Gucci, Gucci, Gucci. Not the bag. <laughs> Not the bag, just Gucci, Gucci, Gucci. The kind of things that you would tell to an infant. But people say that today, like, I'm Gucci. Like, I'm good. Huh? <laughs> people use that now, I'm Gucci, like, I'm good. Yeah, like good, yeah, everything yeah. is cool, everything is all right, and everything is a toy, not a tool. Everything is a joy, 
not a job. This is the way to start looking at it, okay, is to change that frame of reference from being critically minded of what's good, what's bad, what's up, what's down, I like this, I don't like that, because that is the kind of feelings that uh, are associated with um, uh, that, that greed that's within and that ill will is part of critical. It's a critical way of, of, of thinking. Now, many people will say, oh, well, critical thinking is the right way to, uh, to think. Well, no, not really. <laughs> no, that's not the right way to think. And yet we're trained to think critically of choosing what's good and what's bad, what's right, what's wrong, what's safe, what's dangerous. In fact, what we really need, to, because if we go around thinking about what's safe and what's dangerous, we're going to find a whole lot of dangerous stuff out there. So, in fact, wait, Tomrado, I've been I've been told all my life to think critically. Uh huh. <laughs> From everyone. Right, and every and everybody who does tells you that winds up being unhappy. Because we wind up criticizing ourselves inside. Using all of those rules that you learned about things, we apply that to ourselves so that, uh, uh, you know, an example of that is the guy's watching YouTube, but he's not enjoying because he's having thoughts. I ought to be meditating. But then he doesn't go meditate because if he was meditating, he could just meditate enjoying the video he's watching. So we have this idea of meditation as something that we do on the floor in a particular posture at a particular time of day in a particularly ritualized way with products on an altar or whatnot that are part of the ritual. And yet um, the real practice of Anapanasati is whenever we can think of it. To wake up to any time. This is what sati is, is to remember to come out of our critical thinking into nurturing thinking. So this is step 10 of Anapanasati, of gladdening the mind, brightening the mind, telling ourselves everything is all right, everything is fine, everything is good. No problems, nothing to do, no place to go. No need for any problems. This is the gladdening of the mind. Now, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa says that without this delightfulness, or out with, if we can bring the mind to a state of delightfulness, we can do it by talking ourselves into it. In fact, just using the word delightful. I like that word. It's hard to use the word delightful without feeling delightful. And so if the mind is delighted or delightful, that means that it is actually curious, it's interested. And so um, you cannot even, for instance, read a book without this quality or read even an article. If we read some news thing and we start into it and we recognize, oh, I've heard all of this before, or I wonder where this is going, or any of those kind of thoughts. Then by the time we get down to the third paragraph, the eyes are going through every word, but the mind has filtered most of that stuff out because we're now, we're thinking, we're lost. We're not free, in fact, from our own mind to actually read this article because there's no delight in it. But if we're actually delighted in something that we read, or in fact, if you're delighted in having me talk, that's why I try to get people delighted when we're having conversations, because I know that they'll pay attention if they're delighted. And if the student is dull and bored with what I have to say, then he's not going to pay much of attention to it. So stay, keeping this delight actually helps focus the mind or put the mind into a state of collectedness or a state of samadhi. This is step 10. And we actually have to practice this as a skill. They keep reminding ourselves to come back to everything is all right. So you might want to find a catchphrase for yourself and, and everything all right is, is a good one. 
Another one is Everything's Gonna Be All Right. You probably heard that song, too. Everything's Gonna Be All Right. That's the way of saying it. Or Everything is All Right. Everything's All Right. Yes, everything's fine. Probably heard that from Superstar. Jesus Christ Superstar. Everything's all right. Yes, everything's fine. This, this is nurturing kind of thinking. This is the kind of thing thinking that you want to get yourself into often. So that when we recognize that the mind is being critical right now, I've got this work to do. I've got an email to write. I've got food to fix. I've got this or that or some job or another is hindering you from being in this nurturing, wonderful state of being. And so we want to remember to come out of that into the state of everything's all right, everything's fine. So this is step 10 of Anapanasati, and as we practice that, the mind, in fact, will become more liberated because it's not bound to all of those critical thoughts that we used to have. So this is step three of uh, Anapanasati, and it is put together with the, uh, the Satipatthana. So the last one is the Dhamma Nupasana. Now, you probably heard this uh, word that I'm using, Nupasana, and think immediately Vipassana. Well, of course, Vipassana comes exactly from this Nupasana, and the word Pasa is in there, which means to watch as things pass by. Now, the word V, as in vipassana, is actually means to go into or inside of, as opposed to uh, on the outside. So when we talk about the word vihara, that word is in the Pali, and they use it regularly in Sri Lanka. But in Thailand, the word vihara is turned into what? Just language for you. Why? Because, first off, Thai doesn't have that V sound. And so they change it to a W. But the Vihara is actually a heart. So when the monks live in the Vihara, that means in the heart or in the home place. And the word Vipassana means insight. That's what they call it, insight. But it's not necessarily insight. It's better to use in observation or the study of looking on the inside. And so Vipassana then is going to be the Kaya Nupassana, the Veda Nupassana, the Chitta Nupassana, and the Dhamma Nupassana. Now here the word Dhamma is used in a slightly different way than we think of it. Almost always when we hear the word Dhamma, especially in the sense of the Buddha Dhamma, we think of it in the sense of his teachings. But a better way of thinking about it is, no, the Dhamma is actually a, um, almost a, a particle that we use the word like thing, like everything would be every Dhamma. So Dhamma Nupassana would be everything. And in that regard, you can say, oh, well, the Buddha Dhamma means the Buddha's thing. This is all that it means, and it's got a large... So, so anything that is in the mind is going to be the Dhamma and that it too needs to be investigated. But here we're not investigating it the way that we would investigate a thought in the sense of seeing is this, whole, this thought wholesome? Is it critical? Is it divisive into goods and bads? Or is it, does it accept everything? Okay, so this is the, the state of the mind but in the sense of the mind objects, we begin to pay attention to the fact that everything is in flux. Everything is in turmoil. That thoughts don't last very long. That they arise and they pass away almost immediately. How long does a thought last? One, two seconds? Yeah. But even if they are unwholesome, we just see them arise and... And we're, and we're looking for the fact that everything is temporary. Everything is passing away, that we live in a flux. That it, the, a way that you could think of it is, is that you live in a cosmic blender. 
and and uh, the atmosphere, the air around you, uh, the things in the room, that room that you live in is vibrating, and it's alive, and the molecules are not steady or in a steady state, and that's even more true about the brain or the mind, that it's constantly in turmoil, constantly in flux. Everything is changing, and so we need to start paying attention to that. This is step 13 of Anapanasati, is to see that everything, every thought that you have, there it comes again. I've seen that thought before, but now it's newly arising. An example of that is, is that uh, uh, you're not at the computer for a while, but you've got an email on your mind, and you need to write that email. And so because you've got it on the mind, you will probably write that email 10 or 20 or 30 different times, and every time you write that email in your thoughts, it's a different email. Because of the sequence of the way that you're thinking about it. And so everything is constantly in flux. Everything is in turmoil. All of the thoughts that we have, we may have uh, something on our mind. We may be stuck in something. But everything about it is just from here, from there, this way, that way, looking at it, you know, and it's all in turmoil. So beginning to look at how the mind is constantly in flux, constantly in turmoil, always some new thought. It may be a train or uh, associated with it, uh, like the, the idea of a train. Basically, a train has an engine that pulls the train along. If it's really an old-fashioned one, it's got a coal car after it. Then it's got maybe the mail or important things, and then it's got uh, um, passengers and maybe some freight. But every car on that train is a distinct car. And so you may think of your thoughts as the whole train, but now we're beginning to look, no, Every thought needs to be seen as just an individual car on that train. And so you begin to look at the fact that these things are happening very, very quickly. And we start paying attention to them, though it may be dancing around the same subject. That subject is just the train. Let's start looking at every boxcar. Every little thought, because they're constantly in motion, constantly changing. That's step 13 of Anapanasati. Step 14 now is also to begin to pay attention to that every time a new boxcar comes by, the old boxcar is gone. That every little thought that comes in new dies quickly. It disintegrates. It begins to change and fall apart, and then it's gone. And so step 16 of Anapanasati is basically to let that thought go. Normally we don't. We want one boxcar after another, after another, after another, making a train very, very long. To where maybe the thing to do is to let's keep our trains really short, especially the unwholesome ones, the ones that are carrying us off in the wrong direction. So let's start watching those kinds of thoughts. So this is the way that we look at Anapanasati because we're, we're going to start having wholesome thoughts instead of these unwholesome thoughts. But let's dwell a little bit on Anapanasati step number 16 that is talked about as relinquishment. Though in the Anapanasati Sutra, I forgot what Pali word it was, there's another word that Bhikkhu Buddhadasa likes very much in that regard, and it's called Atam Mayata. The word Atam Mayata, the word Ta, by the way, or the particle Ta, is just a, um, an expletive. It's like an emphasis. Uh, the word Tam is the word to do or to work, have some job to do. And atam means to not have any work to do. Leaving the last part is maya or mara. 
Sometimes I use the word Myra and, uh, because that's common and it's in out of the Sanskrit and other languages in India, but the Pali itself is actually Maya. For some reason, they took all the R's out. Chinese are going to have a whole lot of trouble with their L's if you've got no R's in your language. That's an inside joke. You know it, and you, you okay, you got it. All right. <laughs> I didn't get it. <laughs> okay. The Chinese mix the L's and the R sounds. So, for instance, the word Lama and the word Rama are the same word. One said with an L and the other one said with an R. But in the Pali, they don't use so many R's. Like Dhamma versus Dharma, Kama versus Karma, that kind of thing. So, um, this word Atamaya or Atamara is the word Mara here has many, many different definitions. One of the definitions that is commonly used is Maya is the devil and he's got a personality and he's got three daughters. And those daughters are greed, ill will, and delusion. So we can also think of Maya as the world. Now, I'm not talking about the planet Earth. The planet Earth is good to go. I mean, the planet Earth is singing the song, No Worries, Mate. And it's good to go whether it's got humans or not. Nothing wrong with the planet Earth. But the world that we're talking about in this regard is human culture. That's the Mara. All right, and that's the devil, or that's the world, or that's the job to do. You could also go so far as to say that, well, basically, we could think of as the, the source of uh, suffering, dukkha, which the Buddha called maya, actually has these three daughters, and that we can see that this, in fact, is the critical mind, critical thinking. And the criticism is, I like it, I don't like it. Which means I want it, I don't want it. And eventually in our culture, it becomes this is good and this is bad. Only various people in various cultures will say one thing is good and something else is bad and there'll be differences. Why is that? It's because of the feelings. That yes and no, right and wrong, up and down is based upon the feelings that are the Myra's daughters. And so this word Atam Maya Ta means we're not going to have anything to do with Maya anymore. We're going to let that stuff go. We're going to relinquish it. Can you repeat Maya's daughters again? What was that? Myra's daughters is greed, ill will, and delusion. Okay. Greed, it comes from the feeling of I like it. And greed itself is, I want it. I thirst for it. I've got to have it. That ever how much money I've got, I want more. Why? Because the original idea was, if I get some money, I'll be happy. Well, when I got that money, I did feel happy, but now I don't feel happy, so I must need more money. Because I did get some happiness with a little bit of money, so maybe I need more money and I'll be more happy. This is greed. Why? Because it's got ignorance built into it. What is the ignorance? Happiness does not come from money. It's stupid to think that I get more money, I'll be more happy. The next one is the ill will. That means I don't like it. I have aversion to it. And again, the, uh, the delusion is, is that, oh, if I don't like it, maybe I can kill it off and then I'll feel better. And so we try to do something. We try to get rid of something. Get out of here, kid. You bother me. H.G. Wells quote. No, H.G. Wells bothered himself when the child was there. The child didn't bother H.G. Wells. Or maybe it was Orson. I think this is, in fact, an Orson Wells quote. But anyway, um, the point is, is that uh, this Maya or Mara is the way that we deal with the world, and it is the cause of suffering. And so in the sense of, of Anapanasati, to relinquish 
these thoughts that we have. Is to let them go so that we can come back to step 10. And practice. Um, gladdening the mind, nurturing the mind, becoming wholesome again. I got no problems. Everything is OK. I feel really good. We start playing the uh, James Brown meditation. You know James Brown? And he's got that song, I feel good. Da, 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 da. Like I knew I would now. Okay, so that's nurturing. Those lines of that song. Many, many songs. Also Satchmo. What a wonderful world. Well, the world he's talking about is the world he's in. Not the world out there. So getting ourselves into our own wonderful world. This is the nurturing. So we can see how all of this stuff runs in circles around, even though Anapanasati has 16 steps. It's actually really easy to kind of put it together into just one little thing. And Gawanka summed all of that up into just one little phrase, never mind, start again. What is that never mind is, in fact, that relinquishment, that step 16 of Anapanasati, and start again into gladdening the mind, taking a deep breath, focusing on the present moment, here now. The way things actually are, and everything the way that it actually is, is okay. I'm sorry, your microphone is muted now. Now it's on. No, I was asking my mother for something. Oh, okay. Hi, Mom. <laughs> Glad to meet you, Mom, because without you, Isu wouldn't be here. That's true. Yeah. By the way, as a side note, the. Huh? No, no, no. <laughs> she thought I was calling her. <laughs> <laughs> the Buddha was big on moms. He, one of the things that was said was, even if you carried your mom around on your shoulder for her whole for your whole life, still you could not repay her for carrying you around for nine months. And so there's a lot actually, of things. I actually read. Part of the suit, that sutta yesterday, and it said that only through through four things we could repay her, and those were ethics, generosity, wisdom, and the other one was confidence. Oh, in the book. Well, yes, moms have a lot of work to do to carry and to nurture and to care for an infant. So by the time the kid's about six years old, it's payback time. And that's when mom changes from being nurturing into being critical. I was just gonna say, doesn't that mean that we're, we're in debt at that point? You think about yes. it. Yes, and the Dhamma is actually the same way. In the sense that uh, getting into the Buddha Dhamma, we are actually being reborn into the noble life. That this is, in fact, exactly what Jesus said was, ye must be born again. So the physical life is the life that mom gave you. And then your spiritual life is... Uh, nurtured from friends and companions and, and others so that we are born uh, out of the critical mind that we started back into the nurturing mind so that we're reborn back into nurturing. And we become infants again in the sense that we're no longer judging I like this and I don't like that. That I just kind of accept everything. Okay, so mom gave us physical birth. 
but now it's time to be born again. And this born again means every time that we think about it, because in fact, we're going to go back into critical mind, go back into uh, um, self. And you know that the Buddha has it uh, actually in the teaching of Paticca Samapada that birth and being reborn into woeful states is the subject of dukkha. That, in, that if there's no selfishness to be born, then we're good to go. We're still in nurturing. But if the selfishness is born, that means the critical mind comes in, and that critical mind then is old age, sickness, and death, the dukkha. That we're unhappy. So we go into, maybe not out loud, but internally we have lamentation, grief, despair, all of those things come from taking birth. And that taking birth is that, that thought that everything happens so quickly. And so, in fact, we're really born into dukkha many, many, many times. The question is, can you change that so that now in this new present moment, you are taking birth in a nurturing environment? You can create that nurturing environment for yourself just by having happy thoughts. Gladdening thoughts, nurturing thoughts, everything is going to be all right. Everything's fine. So this is the whole sequence of events, Anapanasati, from the body to the feelings, to the mind, to the mind's objects, is all put together as a package deal in just one practice. But one of the key ingredients is these, this breathing. The breathing, in fact, is what helps to do the skill development. The skills that we need is the skills of stop being born in hell. Stop taking those births and take a nurturing birth instead. And so it's very complicated when we look at Anapanasati at, in 16 steps. But it's really not. It's really just one kind of thing. And that is, is that whenever you actually do tell yourself everything's all right, let us say that you were out working in the field and then sundown came and the, the slave driver says, OK, everybody, time off. Everybody sits down, takes a deep breath and relaxes. OK, so you need to start doing that it is to say time off. The day's work is done right now. There's nothing to do, and now I can sit and relax. And by doing that, that also is associated with a deep, easy breath. <sighs> and so we practice the breathing. Then we practice getting the mind's feelings into a, a state of sukha. Now, sukha is exactly opposite of the word dukkha. In all the languages that I know, and it's not only true in Pali, but it's also true in Thai. They have duke and suk in Thai, and they're opposites of each other. But I recently found out that even in the Gujarati language, they have duki and suki. They're opposites. And the step number six of Anapanasati is this suki, this feeling good, this level of sabai or hunky-dory or everything's all right is a state that we can talk ourselves into and breathe ourselves into and when we gain the skill of being able to do that at a regular basis that's when we gain great confidence that i can do this anytime and that's the fourth item on the eightfold noble path that's so important so we're practicing right view to do this, to start looking at dukkha, sati, to remember, to wake up, right effort, to, to gladden the mind and to nurture the mind and the right effort to take a deep breath. And then all of that working together brings us about to right attitude that everything is all right. And so in the beginning, we talk ourselves into it, but eventually we know it. 
everything is all right. And the reason everything is all right is because I'm such an expert at my own life that everything is easy. I haven't found anything that's hard. Even the things that I failed at, that's okay. It was still easy fail. I didn't have to struggle ever. And that's because we bring in the nurturing mind every time we see the critical mind, every time we, we can remember. Uh-huh. Every time we remember to bring in that nurturing mind so that everything is all right. So, in fact, just to talk about this, the first thing is to wake up with sati. Then we gladden them or then we um, inspect the mind to see what's in there. This is all step nine. We gladden the mind. Step ten. By gladdening the mind, we're also taking a deep breath. That's step one and step two. And then uh, we experience the body and the body relaxes in step four. We're in step six with the sukha, giving us the confidence in steps um, five. And it all kind of works together like that. But there is an say, issue. Go ahead. You just say to, to feel good. You just wrap it up in that, like a lot of yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's okay to feel good. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay to feel good. As opposed to feeling judgmental. I'm thinking that, oh, that is good, and if I have that, then I'll feel good. Oh, no. You're already good. You're already, just nurture yourself. Just tell yourself, everything's all right. Because we have been in such a habit for so long of being in critical mind. This is good. This is bad. This is not good enough. This needs to be done. All of that kind of work. And so in the Zen, there's a little koan that is nothing to do and no place to go. And the spring comes and the grass grows by itself. Bushu wrote that. It's haiku Japanese. Some versions of it is just sitting here, no place to go. But just sitting here, no place to go is the same thing as nothing to do, no place to go. The spring comes and the grass grows by itself. You don't need to do anything. Can you apply this while you're doing things? Absolutely. Absolutely. But most people, when they're doing things, they don't like doing things. And so they're in a hurry and they screw it up, have to do it again. But if everything is all right, then it's not work at all. It's just some activity. Moment by moment, I can take another deep breath. Let us say that I've got a hair up my nose and I want to pull it out and I can't quite grab hold of it. Every time I grab it, it it slips away. But I could keep working at it. Never mind. I'll get it next time. Everything's okay. And eventually I start paying very close attention to how I'm grasping this hair. And eventually I get it just right. And then out it comes. Everything's all right. Everything's fine. But how many times do people get really uptight and frustrated because they can't get that hair out? Almost obsessed with it. And out comes the mirror, and out comes the tweezers, and out comes a great big deal because they've already got, I've got to get rid of that hair. But an easier way to say, oh, I'll get rid of it later. Never mind. Nothing to do. I'm okay. With or without the hair, I'm just fine. Everything's all right. Hair at all. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the way to start looking at your activity. A lot of the activity that you're doing. You don't actually need to do. Mm-hmm. So check that mm-hmm. out too. Mm-hmm. A lot of the shopping that we go doing and getting into the car and going to town and didn't need to go. I was okay without it. Everything's all right. Everything's fine. <laughs> I definitely agree with that one. <laughs> so we can practice Anapanasati this way at any time and the more often we practice it all through the day then the less there really is to do so today is an overview 
of all of the steps of Anapanasati, how they fit together in this old sequence of uh, looking at things called the uh, four foundations of mindfulness, which is the body, the feeling, the mind, and the mind's objects. But later we change that by adding one and changing it around into the five aggregates that we take the mind instead of looking at the mind with his objects we look start looking at the mind and the way that it works and these are the five aggregates to recognize that in those five aggregates there's no self anywhere not in those five aggregates so where does the self come from the answer is is that we criticize it into existence by wanting things it's a me that wants it by trying to get rid of something, it's me that tries to get rid of it. When everything is all right, everything is fine, and we're just a blob of nurturing. Mom and the baby are one. They were all friends together, and there's no self-individual there anyplace. It's only when we're in dukkha that the self exists. This sounds unbelievably nice, but how? what is the best way to cultivate these skills we're talking about here? Number one, remember. If you don't remember, you can't do it. That's why sati is such a valuable tool, is you've got to remember. You've got to practice remembering. I would say one of the ways that you can practice remembering is by taking an object. That object is probably not too heavy nor is it breakable if it's dropped so maybe a key or uh something like that but not a cell phone because those can break when you dropped okay so the next thing you do is is that you carry this thing around in your hand because that'll help you to remember and everything and every time you think about that object that's in your hand you'll remember that that object is to remind myself to remember to nurture myself. And so maybe a little Buddha statue or something like that, but you just carry it around in your hand. And when you have to put it down, you have to remember. This is an example of something that you can do. In fact, the Buddha talks about this directly in the Satipatthana Sutta to become aware of what your hands are doing to start watching what you're doing with your hands. Why? Because generally what your hands are doing have to do with dukkha that you're not paying attention to. For instance, scratching. Why do we scratch? It's because we have a sensation we don't like, but it's so small that it doesn't reach to our level of consciousness, and here we are listening to a Dhamma talk while we're clawing at our face. All right. So let's watch what we're doing with the hands. Keeping our hands still. Because there's nothing to do and there's no place for them to go. And so any kind of hand movement should be a signal then for you to start to remember to take a deep breath and everything's all right. Everything's fine. I don't have to pick that up. Now, basically, what I've given you is something that happens so many times a day that it gets kind of difficult in the sense of uh, this is too much work. Mm -hmm. So maybe a better one would be to start with every time that you sit down in the chair, you can sit down as if you were going to do a meditation in the sense of taking a deep breath, relaxing the body into the chair, taking a deep breath. Ah, I'm not standing right now. I'm taking a load off. And so every time you sit down in a chair, that's the time to start nurturing yourself, throwing the hindrances and all the work out, and taking a deep breath and enjoying that. Also, the next one would be every time you get out of a chair. Every time that you get out of that chair, what are you going to do? Well, that's the question, isn't it? What are you going to do? Why did you get out? Of, you were sitting in a chair. It was so nice and comfortable and easy and everything was all right and everything was fine. And I got up. Why <laughs> did I get up? So the technique then is, is that normally when people get out of a chair, they get from, from a sitting to a walking posture. 
We're going to stop that by going from a sitting to a standing posture. And while you're standing up, you're going to ask yourself the question, why did I get out of the chair? What was so important to me that I had to get up to leave my cushy chair? The answer is I might have to go to the bathroom or I might have to beat somebody up or whatever it is, but we're making a note of it to wake ourselves up because you don't necessarily have to get out of that chair. You can sit right back down in it and nurture yourself. And say, wow, I'm glad I didn't go. <laughs> so these are two different techniques that you can have. One's with the hands that happens many times a day, hundreds and more than that a day. Getting up and down out of a chair every day, that's what happens 10, 15, 30 times a day. This is good practice time for Anapanasati. Another one is to make a, to do, a not to do list. And you, you start marking and being on guard. I am not going to think about that lawyer. I am not going to think about politics. Okay, so you write a not to do list. And one of the, uh, one of the not to do list would be Donald J. Trump. Number one item on many people's not to do list. Do not have any thoughts of Donald Trump. Item number two on that list, Joe Biden. <laughs> have no thoughts of Joe Biden. Any thoughts of Joe Biden come into the mind, we throw them out and we take a deep breath and says, don't have to do politics right now. Everything's all right. Politics can take care of itself. That grass can grow by itself, and it really does. <laughs> all by itself. And so this is another way to do it, is to start guarding the mind, to keep unwholesome things out. Keeping politics out of the mind would be one of the things that you can do. Is that a, is that a long enough list for you now? I've given you stuff, <laughs> and it might take you all day. <laughs> Yes, that's very helpful. Thank you. I notice my mind and just sort of doing the practice itself throughout the day, right? So I notice my mind drifting off for a second there. And then I, you know, said sati, that's sati. So congratulate yourself on that, right? Don't become nurturing. We don't have to think about that. We, everything is okay. Mm, right. If you can remember, everything's all right. Everything's yeah. okay. The body is comfortable, no place to go, nothing to do, and politics like grass grows all by itself. Absolutely. It's quite nice. Yeah, it is. When we come out of that critical mind state into the nurturing mind, when we come out of the past and the future and come back to just this present moment, it's nice, it's beautiful. Everything's all right right now. It's like living a whole different life. It's crazy. <laughs> Coming out of hell. Yes, it is. All right. Yozu, do you have any questions or any thoughts or any whatevers? Yeah, I, I was going to tell you, and I'm going to tell you that I'm going to be part. I'm actually in the second day of a retreat. And tomorrow there's going to be, well, a retreat um, led by Ajahn Sona uh -huh. on loving kindness. And it starts tomorrow and it ends the January, January 1st. It's going to be online. So I'm going to be doing that. Okay, well, be kind to yourself. Mm. Have kind thoughts. Have nurturing general thoughts. Because mm -hmm. how can you have nice, how can you have loving kindness for other people out there if you don't have any loving kindness on your mind? No, no not possible. Uh huh. So remember to keep it in mind. Keep that, that's, that's what we want to have in our mind. Not critical thinking, but nurturing thinking. Mm hmm. Okay. Oh, 
All right. Well, let's finish this off now. We've been at it for about an hour. I really have appreciated you guys together. This is good. I'd love to do it again. Mm -hmm. Well, now you guys know how to contact each other on Skype, so you guys can be good friends. I really encourage that to shed your, share your, your dhamma, share your uh, compassion, share your nurturing. Mm -hmm. Will do. We'll see you guys later. Till next time. See you soon. See you next couple days. See you. Bye bye. Bye.